we are made of dirt. Everything that we have on this planet came from this planet. Everything that's here comes from the earth, including you. And I couldn't live a life that didn't honor that. All right, welcome back to Farm On, the podcast, where I get to speak with agriculturists, artists, and activists on the front lines of the food movement. I'm Joe Phillips. Uh, you may recall a, a while back in Farm On, episode number 15, where I spoke with Ryan Griffiths and Sarah Ross, two filmmakers who were trying to wrap their heads around and wrap our heads around the enormity of the corn commodities trade worldwide. And um, I mentioned in that episode that driving past cornfields in Illinois and all over the Midwest can make you feel like you're driving past this beautiful, pastoral, idyllic farmland. But in fact, you're driving through an industrial wasteland. And the only thing that my guest today, Andy Hazard, has in common with that kind of corn growing is that it's corn. Otherwise, everything that she does is antithetical to that type of dystopian, nightmarish machine culture. Um, I first bumped into Andy virtually because uh, she was dialing in on at a meeting that I was at at the uh, U.S. government's uh, USDA headquarters in Chicago. And while I was at that meeting, <clears throat> I was listening to other presenters uh, do their thing, and it's kind of like a show and tell, and it's actually kind of boring uh, to be quite honest. Usually, they're talking about their nonprofits and what they do. But Andy dialed in, and she was just speaking from her heart about what she believed was wrong with our industrial food system and how we need to break our minds free from the constraints of what we have around us and most of the time we can't even see it because it's so big and we need to pry in there and break it open and that's what andy hazard does amazingly at her farm called hazard free farms out in rockford illinois outside of chicago um, it's been a family farm since 1847 and uh she is carrying on the tradition but in a much more progressive and in some ways hearkening back to a very very old um, over 100 150 year old type of farming but before andy hazard became the, the renegade grains farmer that she is now uh, she was a kind of wandering struggling um, uh, landscape designer and artist and um, activist but couldn't quite get her footing and as she says on her website i was suffering from cognitive dissonance like an out-of-tune song my worldly work and actions were out of line with my beliefs so i start off our conversation asking andy what was it that got you in tune with the world and your beliefs and here's what she said i hope you enjoy it uh, it was kind of a conscious choice i um by the time i got to college and got in a few years yeah um, and got kind of a bead on the true reality of life because growing up the farm, my grandparents lived next door. I grew up in La La Land. I mean, mm. obviously, like, hard times, there was this and there was that, but I really, like, kind of grew up in magical mm. space. And so becoming an adult was pretty painful to realize, mm. you know, how cruel humans are and... All that kind of thing. Because you were insulated for most of your very life. Very much so. And where did yeah, you go to? Very much where so. did you go to school? 
I went to school at Western Illinois University, which mm-hmm. my father claims is a beacon of uh, liberal arts college. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Is that just re- <laughs> relatively speaking or what? It's a small rural college in, okay. in Illinois that's like, right. it's known for its, um, uh, you know, police and judicial stuff and like, Okay. Agriculture and teaching, you know, this is okay. Blue collar stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's very. Uh, it was a great college that for me to go to, and I still have friends from there that I talk to regularly. And but your dad's like, you went out there and you got radicalized and indoctrinated, oh, yeah, and you came back with yeah, dreadlocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, not even then. I have that didn't happen a long time after. Okay. Um. But I did go to college for agriculture, and okay. at the time, um, genetics was just, it was just, okay, you got to think back, it was like 1994. Mm. Genetics was just coming on. GMO mm-hmm. was like just starting, and I saw a lot of potential there. You did what? I'm wanted, sorry, what was that last part? I saw potential there. You oh, know, in the GMO. In, in yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. and genetic, like understanding genetics of animals and I actually wanted to breed cattle. I was kind of what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. So I was studying animal science, and then about halfway through, I just um, I just had spent a lot of time hiking, which is not something I ever had done. But I had mm. a lot of friends. We liked to camp and go do that kind of thing. And mm. I just fell in love with trees. Mm. Uh, it was a very sort of slow grow on me. And then all of a sudden I, and I grew up around flower beds and fruit trees and Mm -hmm. vegetable gardens and that kind of thing. And then in college that really started to come out because I just, I wanted, I was thinking veterinary medicine too. And then I decided Mm -hmm. I'm not smart enough. I don't want to go to school that long. It's not going to Um, med school. I mean, it's not much different. Well, and, Oddly enough, what had happened is a friend of mine, a very good friend that I had known from high school, was trying to go into veterinary med and and was like, I- I'm not going to make it. I'll wow. just become a doctor. And Too he did. Hard. He became a wonderful doctor. <laughs> 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 so he's a doctor now instead of a veterinarian. Wow. Um, so at any rate, yeah, I fell in love with trees and that swung the door open into falling. It just, I randomly got a job with a woman that was restoring a prairie. Hmm. And then she was like going back for a new master's degree at the age of 55. And she needed some help with her paper and her research, which all had to do with prairie and, cool. you know, on and on it goes. And so that landed me my first job out of college. And then I wanted to get a greenhouse and I became a landscaper and cool. But I always really wanted to farm <laughs> way yeah. down deep inside. So but it was I, kind of a circuitous route back to it. And it sounds like if you were falling in love with trees and prairie restoration, then GMO doesn't really, genetically no. modification doesn't really fit into that whole paradigm. No, and I was figuring that out as mm-hmm. I was going along because I started to realize I got involved with the forestry club and the the college at the time, they were burning coal and they were dumping the coal slag um, on the banks of the river. Mm, classy. Yeah. And so I kind of got involved. I, w- I was like the student that the professor was like, oh, look at how horrible this is because they can't really do anything about it. Mm-hmm. 
and I think he meant maybe like go through a more proper path to resolution, but diplomatic. In my mind, yeah, I was like, I'm going down there. I'm gonna bucket that stuff, and <laughs> I'm taking it to you know the city council meeting, and I'm getting on the docket, and I'm gonna let them know what's going on. Yeah, dump a bucket <laughs> of coal ash like, on the floor of the mortified. Yeah, that I was so brazen. And yeah. that was my first involvement in anything environmental. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't have any problem with having coal slag or burning coal at the time. I was just like, this is a bad place to dump it. Come on. Mm-hmm. You well, know, like it, have a little bit more respect for our water, for God's sakes. We've got to drink this stuff. Well, yeah, and the lack of regulations, the fact that water tables can be... Destroyed. Freely destroyed and polluted <laughs> with no recourse. I mean, you see what's yeah. going on, what happened in Houston after the hurricane. I mean, you know what? And quite frankly, they chose not to have zoning laws. Oh, yeah, it was by design and or now by we're lack of design. For it. <laughs> I mean, we are going to pay for the fact that they chose yeah. not to have zoning laws. Absolutely. So the older I get, the more I'm like, you know, we ought to pay for our own mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. any state that makes big mistakes like that is, or costly, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what they are, it could be health related, it could be, mm-hmm. you know, any number of things. Well, we're paying for it. We're paying for it with our yeah. health and we're paying tax <laughs> dollars yeah. to clean it up. But mm, usually yeah. the perpetrators get away pretty scot-free, right? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I have gotten, I've been educating myself. So like one mm-hmm. day recently I was like, how much white collar crime is there versus blue collar crime? Mm-hmm. You know, right. fifteen times as much white collar crime. Mm-hmm. But no one ever talks about it. No one says we're going to crack down on white collar crime. Right. No one's ever said that. Yeah. No, and it's not <laughs> splashing across the headlines all sexy. No, either. but it's billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So you know that kind of thing kind of gets up in your craw and. Mm-hmm. You think about things. That's one of the things that happens, I think, when you start farming. You spend a lot of time by yourself. Thinking. And then you you think. Yeah, you end up thinking a lot. <laughs> and so that causes, you know, you to think too much. And then <laughs> you, you get concerned. And then you get, you want to take action and change things. And yeah. it is changing, though. It really. Well, that's an interesting point, though, because I would venture to assert that a lot of city dwellers who aren't out in the fields growing their own food probably don't have that kind of opinion about people who live out in the country you know they they don't they don't necessarily equate um having that kind of time and solitude and quiet as leading to original progressive thoughts you know what I mean? I don't think it always does. Of so. course. It depends on the person. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, there are no plenty. Of, I have a deep adoration for farmers. I grew up mm-hmm. around old men because mm-hmm. my father was young, but he liked old equipment. And the only people that had old equipment were old men. Mm-hmm. And so I really have, like, a deep love and respect for you know, mm-hmm. the men of our community and, um, plows and scythes. We and... have, yeah, we have a very different experience of reality. 
Mm-hmm. And finding still their alive? common ground. Your dad? My father? Yeah. Yeah. He's kicking. He's alive <laughs> and kicking. My sister is a nurse, so we keep a close eye on him. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, so he's, he's not, a great help. He's not farming anymore, or he is? Oh, yes. No, he is still farming. Okay. I mean, he's kind of in semi-retirement, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother basically runs the operation, but my father's in the shop fixing things, working on things. Mm. You know, six six days a week, basically. Wow. Yeah, so he's very active still. Keeps him going. Yeah, yeah, and grandkids everywhere, and he's got we got him a dog last winter. So, and I read a little bit about what he, you know, thought about your first experiments with with the wheat and all the hand processing, all the hand harvesting and stuff. Yeah, he's he's in an odd position because he loves old equipment and he likes, excuse me, buying buying old equipment. But mm-hmm. it's been hard for him to kind of understand what's taking so long for me to become rich. <laughs> <laughs> what is taking so Not long, Andy? Rich. Like, but you know, he's like. Did he become yeah. rich? Um. Well, he would tell you no. Right. But he's modest. Know. Yes. Yes. Okay. So. But he did okay. Yeah, he's done very well for himself with uh, <laughs> corn or like commodity stuff or. Yeah. Well, when I was growing up, excuse me. My parents, um, we farmed with my grandparents, and so. My grandfather liked milking cows. My father hated milking cows. Mm-hmm. But we also raised cows and calves. And um, then us kids were all in 4-H. And we had chickens around and rabbits and geese and horses and a donkey. And I had a bunch of sheep. And um, it was good, you know. Mm-hmm. It was a very diverse farm. They had a lot of crops. We made a lot of hay. We grew oats and wheat and all sorts of things. Um, and then farming has changed, you know, mm-hmm. there Monsanto and the ilk came on the yeah. scene and changed everything. And, and that was that thing I was getting at when at the USDA meeting is right. I don't think people understand how much yeah. the taxpayer is subsidizing oh agriculture yeah. and, and the amount of money that those large corporations are being subsidized by the taxpayer and then it's causing people to be sick. I mean, it's, it's, crazy. it's this huge circle of Death. money <laughs> and the farmer gets very little. Yeah. And, and for the most part, the taxpayer is putting the bill right. for the whole thing for, for, you know, ruining our water and our air and our fishing and our health. And don't you just <laughs> feel like it's on one of those, on on. don't you just feel like it's one of those realities that if people could wrap their minds around it, it's just so big and it's so, it's just it so is. much their fabric it of their is. life that it would just blow your mind. <laughs> it does blow your mind because it is woven because it's the slow burn. Yeah. You know, human beings and I, this is not from my own brain, but I do see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. They, you know, we're great when there's like a horrible catastrophe. Mm-hmm. We're on it. Everybody's, you know, in mm-hmm. motion. But when it's the slow burn, we can't see it. We can't see the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, you know, it doesn't really matter if those corporations set out to like, you know, 
do this. But mm-hmm. what has happened is that it's done. Mm-hmm. They, they, it Whatever the intention was doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah, it doesn't anymore. even matter at this point. But mm-hmm. here's the thing that people need to understand. And is that we, if you don't like it, don't buy their damn products. Boycott. Buy your food locally. If yeah. you don't like how a corporate corporation behaves, mm-hmm. don't purchase their products. Like, you don't have to buy your clothes at Target. Right. <laughs> you don't. Vote with your... You can go buy them secondhand. Vote with you your want. dollars, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and that is the only thing that will change it. Yeah. That's well, it. And, and it's so simple. And you're, I mean, one thing I read was that some of your loaves of bread are not your loaves, but the loaves of bread that are being made from your product, you know, a loaf of bread could go for $6 a loaf, right? If it's like... Oh, probably more. More now. So it's a, it's a lot of money for a loaf of bread, but I mean, like... I personally think about it this yeah. way though, because I do, because I am a person that will go to the dang grocery store and go, Oh my gosh, that costs so much money. <laughs> right. You know, like I literally like went and five dollars for a dozen eggs. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I went and bought a regular bag of two actually apples mm-hmm. because the apples, the organic ones were five dollars and thirty cents. Mm-hmm. But there's ten apples in there. And as I'm driving home I'm thinking, <clears throat> Andrea that's 50 cents an apple. Mm-hmm. You eat an apple for lunch every day, and that's what you have for lunch. That's the only thing you have. Right. So you're complaining about paying 50 cents for lunch? Yeah. Like, well, and you and you know what it takes to grow a decent apple. Like, I know. The amount of I know. energy that goes into that. <laughs> it's shameful that I would buy the <laughs> organic one. It's well. so stupid. Well, and but I we're hunter gatherers too, too, so we're like thinking, well, I have to use my resources wisely, you know. And well, so. I have an apple tree in my yard. I guess <laughs> I could have just gone out and picked those apples, but I was thinking I'm going to make applesauce out of those. Um, the, the, but I think, right, isn't part of the disconnect though, too? Like, it's not that that apple is necessarily too expensive, it's that why are other apples so damn cheap? Like, conventional yeah. GMO imported from yes. wherever apples like why are they so cheap right and you you were you know you talked about the subset bananas subsidized oh my God, 99 cents a pound yeah like how is that even possible how do they I even really don't get understand. here for 99 cents a pound much less being they're grown. heavy and they're big and they're not exactly boxy very i mean perishable. they're in a weird shape yeah, <laughs> yeah. they get bruised it's crazy it's insane mm-hmm. and that's you know Petroleum industry, oh man. But what is easier for me to do, you know, okay, five twenty nine for a bag of apples. If I had bought those at a farmer's market directly right. from a farmer, I would not have batted an eye. In fact, yeah. I would have paid eight. Dude, because farmers markets, that's that weird. money is staying in my community. Yeah. So then I don't care what the price is. Like I'll pay twice as much, three times as much. I really don't when I it do comes it to a direct interaction. I'm much more likely to spend a lot more money. I do it too. You go and to a farmer's market and you walk by the table and they're like the farmer, the grower themselves is looking at you with their eyeballs and they're like, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're a little Come taste. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I need your business. That's real, mm-hmm. man. That's an emotional poll. That's like, 
We do. Yeah. We do need that business, you know. I yeah. mean, farmers markets are not a perfect answer, but they are an answer, and they mm-hmm. are one part of a very a puzzle that seems to still be eluding us after all these years of trying to make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, but back at the at the end of the day, the best relationship is direct to the farmer. Sure, I mean as I, direct as you can get. Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think I read somewhere that farmers market sales are kind of plateauing or in some cases going down, but like attendance is up. Like people are going and they want to be around and feel like they're, I don't know. Have you heard that or have you feel that? Do you sense that? I have heard some pretty um, worrisome stuff coming back about CFAs being down, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, is very bothersome because that, CSAs, really community-supported community agriculture. Rubber, yeah, where the mm-hmm. rubber hits the road. And mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it has to do with running a CSA, because I've done it, it's extremely complicated and mm-hmm. very hard. And I think what happens is CSA is kind of the gateway drug for getting into farming. Okay. Because it's doable financially on a small scale. Mm-hmm. And what happens is um, people get over greened, too, mm. too many greens, too many greens, too many greens. Because we used to hear that a lot in our own CFA, which mm. we made a lot of changes to make sure that didn't happen. And what we ended up doing was in the spring when we had a lot of greens, I found a guy that grew mushrooms. And so mm-hmm. then people were getting, you know, beautiful mushrooms with all their greens, which you know, and then we were offering eggs and honey and mm-hmm. we just diversified the CSA and that's how we ended up starting with the grain. Cool. Oh, so that's yeah. how it kind of came about. Cause you were like, Oh, we, there's a missing piece to this. Well, I, I wanted to grow the grain, but those first, that first year where we were like trying things out and figuring out, you know, what we were doing, we were just putting it in our CSA boxes. And oh, people loved it. Cool. Yeah, because that, well, it's like, hey, we got all new recipes now, too. <laughs> you yeah. know, we can fly you with uh, some fruit and some oatmeal to do a crisp. And so. Yeah, but it's complicated, yeah. right? Because it puts the onus on you to be the kind of distributor and coordinator of all these suppliers. Yes. and. Yes. It is tricky, but I mean, there's so many more apps there now. There's so much more. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a back. You know, it, we were running everything off of spreadsheets, but now there's like, you know, mm-hmm. you can buy whatever program that'll help you organize everything. Mm-hmm. And then you just got to make sure you're hitting your planting dates and that you're farming well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we used to do all that stuff by hand, you know. Somebody's coded it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I get really excited Um the National Young Farmers Coalition just got a grant for 250000 to come up with some apps and a website to do like direct connections between farmers. And cool. that has happened a lot with other companies, mm-hmm. but it was always a third party that wasn't involved in agriculture mm-hmm. um, and, and that so wanted to make money off of it. And it wasn't quite right, I'm guessing. If it, No. Yeah. And I've tried a lot of them that they claim, oh, we have all these clients in Chicago. You can sign up and we'll only take 15% or you got to pay a couple hundred bucks a month. And, right. 
I just haven't really, and then maybe I'm missing the boat somewhere. Maybe I've overlooked something. Maybe I'm just too busy. <laughs> probably. To time to do it. Probably all of them. But yeah. I do think that we do need a way. Well, local harvest is a really nice resource. Mm. What's that? For that, you know. Yeah, what is local that? Local harvest. Oh, mm. my gosh. you got to go. Localharvest.org. Okay. And um, it's driven by zip code. It's one of the first websites that were out there. And it's grown a lot, but it'll hook you up with a restaurant, a co-op, a CSA, a farm, a pick-your-own, anything you oh, want. Oh, cool. It's, think of it as the Etsy for agriculture. Awesome. And yeah. so you can you can kind of come at it as a grower or as a consumer or whatever? Yes. That's cool. Yeah. All it's right. really nice if you're traveling and you want to like find a restaurant that has local food. Oh, wonderful. And, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm totally checking that out. See, I learn something every time. That's why I do this thing. Are you still there? Yes. Oh, sorry. I thought I lost you. Um, no. So, um, one thing I wanted to know, I was just reading your bio. Um, you were talking about before you decided to farm for yourself that you saw it as a way to bring your spiritual and philosophical beliefs in line with the way that you live. And that reminded me of, um, people get awards for like the right livelihood award and stuff like that. Um, so what at the time or now, like what do you see as your spiritual and philosophical beliefs and are they in line with the way that you're living mm-hmm. now? If you reflect, they are, they are getting closer all the time. Um, How so, at the time, I was a, I was a land I was doing landscaping at the time, mm-hmm. um, and I just was getting a I was getting burned out. I was tired of dealing with clientele, um, mm-hmm. and I had a particularly just like good but kind of rough negotiating season when it like with money and stuff. And I I um, I was tired of the chemicals. Yeah. Right. That was part of it because people were so picky about their lawns and we're like spreading all this. You have to spray it? Uh, spraying and spreading this and that so the weeds don't, you know, it was just on and on. And I was like, you know, yeah, ready for a change. And I kind of parlayed for a little while there. I became an artist for, I've always been artistic and always I'm a maker Mm-hmm. But I actually went and did it. I I was like a full-time artist and landscaper for a couple of years there. But um, back in the back of my mind, I had this reality painted of you can't farm without a partner. Mm-hmm. you got to have a, a man by your side, girl. And mm-hmm. I, hit, I had been married and divorced. I hit 31 and I thought, you know what, to hell with it because I can't wait. For someone because they might mm-hmm. never show up and I don't want to live my life always wishing that I had done what I really wanted to do. Are you talking about a life partner or a, or life an agriculture? Partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a life partner. And mm-hmm. so um, what I really wanted to do was like be a lounge singer and sing, sing like old jazz and blues, but <laughs> that didn't happen. So... Aside from being a jockey, you wanted to be a lounge singer. Yeah, or I wanted to be in Cirque du Soleil, but I think I've passed that now. Okay. Um, Well, never give up. You never know, Andy. Well, you know, I do yoga, so... There uh, might be room for a tractor-driving member of the Cirque du Soleil. 
Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Right? Instead of instead of doing gymnastics on the horse, I do it on the tractor. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah. So at any rate, I was, you know, thirty one. I was like, I don't know if you. I'm. I believe in astrology. So like, I had just gone through this Saturn return, and I had gotten divorced hmm. from a very short marriage, and um, I was like, I'm ready to do this. Yeah. And I really, I came back around to my family and approached them about farming with them. And they were like, no. Hmm. So Why'd they say um, no? It's too risky? or uh, No. It, they, they felt like the farm couldn't support another person. Which, right. And they kind of knew that I didn't want to do things conventionally. You weren't going to go with the flow. Well, I would have. I would have gone with the flow and then used the experience Mm-hmm. and money garnered from being able to work in agriculture to do my own thing on the side. Mm-hmm. But, but the conversations, it was just, it, it didn't happen, which happens mm-hmm. a lot in families. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And particularly <laughs> family farms, which are not treated like a business. It, uh, it, at least ours never was. Um, and so I was like, all right, whatever. Vegetables is the way I'm going to go. Hmm. Which I had already conquered prairie plants and trees and shrubs and landscape plants and flowers. So I was like, new horizon. I'm going to learn about vegetables. Yeah. So I got into it and um, I wrote a business plan. I I wrote this business plan to go back to my dad and be like, I want to do identity preserved soybeans and stuff like that. So what did kind you of call like it? Food, identity preserved? Identity preserved. Yeah. It's like food grade specialty soybeans, clear hylum, or, you know, there's all these different grades of soybeans they use. Wow. You're speaking a different language right now. That's new to me. Yeah. Well, you can look it up. Uh, identity preserved grain. And so... Identity preserved grain is kind of like a precursor to all the organic grain stuff because at the time, or well, it, it, organic grain was coming on the market then. But at any rate, hmm. it was like food grade grain. Okay. Um, specialty, specialty soybeans, specialty corn. So you can grow like yellow corn for tortillas, which is different, a little bit different than field corn for animals. Gotcha. So at any rate, okay. Yeah. And again, they were like, eh, no. Mm-hmm. So I, I, the vegetable farmer is coming along nicely and, you know, twists and turns of fate and heartbreak and business dealings not going well. I ended up in Chicago oh. and, um, selling in Chicago wholesale, uh, and oh, gr- still home, growing out in Rockford, still growing but... vegetables. Yeah. I'm growing in Rockford and I had always said, I'm never going to Chicago. So yeah. pretty soon I'm servicing all of the big bowl restaurants, oh. um, all four of them. And cool. I was like, well, you're already in the city. You should really look around and see mm. if you can't get some more accounts. And we did. And cool. it grew. And then in 2011, my father came to me in the spring and said, Annie, I planted 20 acres of wheat. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. Wow. I was like, whoa, Dad. Now he, now wow. he believes in you. Now he's like... He sees yeah. some. So I start. Yeah, I started the farm in 2007. So 2011, this happens. Well, what had ha- ha- partially what had happened is he fully stepped back from the farm, mm-hmm. and my brother like kind of fully took over everything, mm-hmm. and so he had more time. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, "Whoa, where did you find the seed?" Because I'm thinking organic 
sweet, right? He knows mm-hmm. I'm organic, even though I'm not certified. He goes, oh, well, I just, I went down to Pasco and bought some seeds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, was it treated? Well, yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. False start, false start. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> at any rate, he, that was like year zero. He, he planted the wheat, but it was the wrong kind. Mm-hmm. Um, because he would never occur to him that maybe he should ask me <laughs> the wheat of course that we not. should plant, no. even though he was doing it for me. Father knows best. The, the connection wasn't made. So, yeah. But it was a start, and it opened the door, and we started buying some equipment. And the next year, we planted organic seeds, mm-hmm. and we did oats and barley and corn, I think, that first year. Mm-hmm. Um, or no, I think we did, we did wheat and oats and corn. And mm-hmm. so that's where we started in 2012. Cool. So it's not been very long. It's been five years. It's so interesting. Years. Like, no. I feel like the more I talk to people in this kind of work, um, almost all of them have some kind of like artistic vision, you know, or like a an interest in design or art or creating things it's just so interesting that that kind of mind really or soul complicated. what's complicated about it is it the uh organic agriculture done right yeah with the soil involved and yeah. i'm not saying hydroponics and stuff like that isn't mm-hmm. complicated but it is very complicated and it is a dance Mm-hmm. between you as a person, the land you have, the crop you're growing, the resources you have, the money you have, the equipment, the infrastructure. It is an incredibly complex dance. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of mind power to navigate it. Mm-hmm. But and not just mind power, but it's like out. that kind of long vision of... I don't know. It's like creative creative people aren't just smart, but they're like they see into things that aren't real that aren't obvious. Easily seen. Well, right? I mean the thing about veggies when you're starting out as a small farmer is that you are right there. Yeah. You are directly interacting. And one of the things I noticed when I went from the first couple of years, I was like, feet on the ground. There were really no tractors in my operation other mm-hmm. than a rototiller, which was a walk behind. Mm. And as my op- operation grew, all of a sudden I found myself like, I'm on a tractor all the time, but I'm still picking all my crop by hand. So I'm still mm-hmm. intimately involved. And mm-hmm. then when I switched to grain, I'm like, I never touched the ground with my feet. My God, I'm constantly on a tractor the whole mm-hmm. time. I don't hand harvest except for my seed with the corn. Mm-hmm. And that still inspires. It's, it's a different, I don't know, the green thing is not as intimate. And part of it makes me want to go camp in the middle of my field. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you in ever the do that? The summer. No, but I, I would like, and I just never thought about it until now, but hmm. maybe that would be a way to, to remain like super connected with it. Mm-hmm. I'm intimately connected when it comes to the processing of it. 
mm-hmm. but the actual field growing, I'm on a tractor. I mean, sure. I'm so I'm still super close because I'm on like a John Deere A. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not know. like a giant combine or something. It's just like a little no, tractor. No, it's yeah. a small tractor, but you're still it's different. I think back when I'm cultivating my corn, I think about when I used to hand cultivate my carrots. Mm. You know, and then hand weed them and mm-hmm. and do all that kind of thing, and how the steps up are a removal every time. I know what you mean. Removing. I know what you mean because um, you know on the scale that I'm working is pretty small. I mean, for urban farm, like pretty big, but still small gardens. You know, um, so we hand water everything pretty much, except yeah. for a little bit where we have irrigation, but. Um, at first, I was just like really uh, frustrated by hand watering. It's like, oh, dragging hoses around. It's just like this is not efficient. And but now I realize that what it does is it makes me pay attention to every single plant. Like I have to sit there and look at it. And right. um, as and I'm doing, it, I'm weed. picking things off. Yeah, I'm picking weeds and noticing pests and things that I wouldn't even pay attention yeah. to. So yeah. I think it's important to go sit in your fields. I mean, yeah. really just sit for a while. Like maybe, I don't know, as much time as you can stand without going crazy, sitting still. Take a notebook with you or something. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. Who's but, a Wendell Berry talks about the genius of the place, you know, just like yes. being able to perceive that, you know, and how yeah. else are you going to do it if you don't just sit there? <laughs> A good example is my brother farms the 200 acres that I live on. And Mm. um, this year, with all the rain that we had, I drive down the driveway every day, and he's growing soybeans this year. And it's kind of like along the driveway, it's high high and um, it's kind of limestone, rocky. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's good soil, but it it, it shouldn't be wet. And I'm driving by every day, and it hadn't rained in a couple weeks, but... The soil was still wet. Like, I could see it gleaming, hmm. and the beans were a little yellow. And I'm thinking to myself, like, everything should be dried up now. Like, this is on a hillside. What's mm-hmm. going on? So finally one day, I just got out of the truck, and I walked out there, and I was like, whoa, we had enough rain that it activated a spring in the hillside that I have lived here for 15 years and never seen before. Hmm. Now, he wouldn't know that because... He doesn't live here and drive by it every day. Mm. But I got to see it. And then I started looking out across the field, and I'm like, are all the yellow spots I'm seeing wet spots? Oh, like, so you're saying it activated a, it activated a under, underwater, underground spring. That has never been there. Huh. <laughs> Weird. So you it were seeing, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. God knows when that was last, last activated. I mean, I did, I don't know that anyone in my family ever would have known it was there because we didn't live here before huh. I lived here. My aunt and uncle lived here. Yeah, and I don't know that you know they wouldn't probably have paid attention to that because right. they just would have thought, oh, the beans are yellow there. You know, they sure. wouldn't have thought about it. Well, and you, but and if you miss that kind of thing, then you're just you're squandering yeah. an opportunity, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so it's kind of interesting because I was like, wow, you know, I never would have suspected that. That's cool. But, yeah, one of the bad things about our lives being so short is that we don't get to see a lot of things. Well, that's why we need oral history, right? I mean, it's funny because you were talking about um, how no one's had the kind of grain that you're growing now for 100 years, but that's 
not normal in human society, right? Or human culture, because, um, you know, that thing that happened in modern agriculture where it just cut us off from history, you know? Yeah. No, it did. When people left the farm and went to the city, and I mean, as a woman, it's kind of interesting because I really think back, I'm like, okay, when they figured out how to put food in a tin can, like, women were freed. Hmm. When they started selling bread, like commercial bread, mm-hmm. Wonder Bread came on, mm-hmm. you know, 50s. It was probably in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And the, it's like, I'm kind of at a war with myself because, or human beings are, because like those things that freed women from the kitchen, from women's work, are like the things we're trying to get back to. Yeah. At the same time, but I'm on my freedom, too. Like, so trying to find that balance of, like, do I need to can more tomatoes? Mm. I just buy it at the store, Mm -hmm. the farm, the animals, trying to balance everything. It's kind of weird because it's like, I hate it that we have, like, processed food. But on the flip side, it bought a lot of women a lot of freedom. And look at what we've given the world. Yeah. And our hands have been tied for a lot of time because... You know, <laughs> it's so interesting. Like, yeah, I mean, we're still getting our bearings. We're still finding our equality, and, and right. so on and so forth. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Like, what is what is freedom really? Is it being able to have the same kinds of jobs that men have, or I don't know, or or just I don't, more I don't free know. time? It's different for everybody. Sure. I mean, for me, freedom is having enough time that I can. You know, we're going to butcher rabbits, I think, on Sunday. And Dan was like, okay, so we'll just throw them on the freezer. Uh, and I was like, actually, no. I really want to try canning some meat because mm. I've never done it before. And this is a perfect opportunity because hmm. it's a small amount of meat. It's manageable. If I don't get it done, I can throw it in the freezer. It's not like we're butchering, like, something large. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I want to make sure I have time for that. Yeah. I... I want to, I mean, we kind of want to, yeah, we want to go, we're working to go kind of off the grid and, and the food thing is a big part of it. And cool. So. That's awesome, I man. That, where were we? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't really know, but that's why, yeah, no, I love, I love <laughs> tangents. I just wanted to spin off, but. You asked me about the spiritual environment. That was the original question. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. that's something that you said in your on your own website was that it was a way to bring your spiritual yeah. and philosophical beliefs in line so, with the way you live. Yeah. So basically, what happened in my awakening, which started when I decided that I didn't want to get confirmed in the church, mm. and has continued until this day. How old I'm were you then? When you that? I would have been like thirteen. Yeah. You know, yeah. I knew well enough that I wasn't, I wasn't like, this is wrong. I just knew that there were other things out there I wanted to learn about before wasn't I for you. myself to a re- religion mm-hmm. that I, I at least owed the rest of the religions and spiritualities of the world a look um, mm-hmm. at the tender age of 13. So anyway, <laughs> um, I, Enlightened 13 year old. I've been, yeah, I've been on that path and, and the landscaping thing wasn't, there for me and Mm -hmm. the other thing was that I could I have this whatever ability to see our ecosystem um, and and like sort of 
overlay my own body and the way my own body works as a human being mm-hmm. as in into the ecosystem. So like a river is a vein. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. It's and, kind of like the and, Gaia. It sounds yes, like Gaia principle. Precisely. Mm-hmm. It, is kind of, it is Gaia theory. And so Gaia theory really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And I, um, everything is connected. And, and here's the thing. Soil is the dead and decaying body of every plant, <clears throat> human, animal, bug that came before us. Hmm. One, and, and in the, it's like it's it's dead but it's alive and then things live in it and it is fragile mm-hmm. special ancient mm-hmm. and we are made of dirt like everything mm-hmm. that we have on this planet came from this planet we don't just make things with like sparkles and magic wands you know right. like it came out of something have, right yes Everything that's here comes from the earth, including you mm-hmm. and me and the tree and the, and it's all connected and making that like really taking the time to think about that, mm-hmm. understand it, and then weave it back into my understanding of this reality that we're in mm-hmm. it was important and made all the difference. And I couldn't live a life that didn't honor that. Hmm. Somehow, and you know, you're. It sounds like you're. It's made you in touch with your own cycle of your own life, and the talking about the deep time perspective. Like you can't get that kind of perspective if you don't understand that about Pre- soil, right? Precisely. I mean, the thing of it is, is to like you know, get on the internet and look up, okay, the earth is 4 billion years old. Mm-hmm. When did human beings come on the scene? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like a split second ago. Mm-hmm. A blip. Uh, we are a blip. Geologically speaking, we're a blip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. And, and that was the part of the thing of me letting go of the religion mm-hmm. was letting go of all that opened up. And I explain it like this. I'm like, for me, we'll use the term God just as a placeholder, but like how dare anyone presume to know what happened here? Like, mm. There were, there were dinosaurs. Like, how magical is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, no one could have dreamed that up. Mm-hmm. Like, how awesome that God did that, or, you know, mm-hmm. or, or not did it, or it happened, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that <clears throat> being able to embrace spirituality and long time mm-hmm. gives you even a deeper respect for how sacred this whole thing is. And that's it, right? Because... Uh, the when you were talking before, uh, it made me think like some people might see that kind of Gaia yeah. existence spirit as kind of like making you your making your life feel insignificant. That you're such a speck and you're it's such a blip on the 
geological span of things that what's the point and why should I embrace my life and blah, 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 blah. But in fact, the opposite is true is what you're saying. That it yeah. gives you kind of a deeper connection to. The I mean, it, I don't, I don't think in our culture enough, we ask the question like, why are we here? Why are you here? Mm-hmm. What is your purpose here? Mm-hmm. Like, are you just here to make chaos and be cruel and, you know, cause trouble or what is our purpose? Mm-hmm. And it's hard. I mean, especially in our culture right now. And, yeah. but I really think like everything that's going on right now, I think this is, it, it, it it's the last throes of a dying creature. Yeah. Is what we're seeing. And, and people, it seems chaotic, <clears throat> but it's, it's kind of like, it's just seizures. Yeah. It's, I mean, age of Aquarius, right? I mean, <laughs> really, it's like the new, <laughs> the new day is not, I mean, it, it takes a pretty violent upheaval for things to really, to really change yeah. and turn over. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I just see, you know, so much possibility, but it really you know, the government is not going to come in and fix everything. Mm-mm. And if you're, if you're, if everyone's waiting for that, well, you're going to die waiting. Mm. We have to do it. We, we have we, to be a part you, of it. Me, the neighbor, we got to do it. Yeah. And when you look at the organic movement and what's going on and how things have changed in the last 30, 40 years, look how far we've come. Yeah. That's it. It's about perspective. That, like, yeah, socially with, um, LGBT rights and all these kinds of things. Like we yeah. are moving forward. Yeah. So Despite the fact that we're being attacked at every turn, there's still yeah. a lot of progress that's been made. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And you also mentioned education too. And I know that's part of your mission as well. And you know, that's what I've been doing for the last few years here. So that's a whole other conversation we can have too. Just like mm-hmm. how to start to, you know, inspire young people to just care, you know, to just like eat some food that they've grown themselves is kind of like amazing. They're, they're there. I mean, I, it's, it's the older generations. I think that we're going to have more trouble with. I think that the food thing is really embedded now in our society. We just got to fix things like the fact that hydroponics are on the shelf and are labeled as organic and we still have, chickens indoors and right. you know the, the milk thing and the egg thing and we gotta get this straightened out or not you know I mean personally I say chuck it chuck the whole thing let's all walk away Yeah, I don't have any skin in the game I'm not certified organic I probably need to be mm. and should be mm-hmm. um, just because like in the grain market it, things are a little bit different but the fact that they're allowing hydroponics is mm-hmm. unconscionable you mean chuck it in terms of like let's wipe the slate clean as far as the um, labeling. And, the label. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I think totally. I think that all the real farmers need to walk away from it. Well, and it's I, so expensive mm-hmm. too. Like the um, To be certified, it sounds like it's such a mm-hmm. hurdle for most people. It's expensive. There are, there are offsets and stuff. It is good. The record keeping is good and all that kind of thing. And like, there's been a lot of conversations. Well, I was out in California with the agrarian elders a couple of years ago. 
And so it was a huge topic of conversation. And mm-hmm. um, at the time, I was like, I just think we should well, just walk away. And, you know, people want to fight for it. But then I get why, mm-hmm. you know, because they were there. Jim Garrison was like there at the beginning of it when it went under into the UFDA. And, mm-hmm. they, you know, it was a good thing then, but it has totally been hijacked. Yeah, it's like I any big... Believe- any big uh, yeah. philosophy, it starts off in a good place and then just gets co-opted. Yeah. And, you know. and and we need to get, like, I just don't see how they're going to rest control back. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it happening. My friend, um, my friend, Lindsey Steele, he's a, he's a market, not a market farmer, but he's a straight to, straight to um, grocery and restaurant farmer. And um, he... He calls his stuff Morganic with an M at the beginning, right? Because he's... Oh, nice. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, he, he just doesn't want to buy into the whole scheme. So is he certified? No, uh, that's what I mean. He just certifies he really himself. <laughs> yeah, know. and that's kind of what I've done. I mean, and I'll tell people straight up because I get asked to speak a lot and they'll be like, oh. Oh, and we want you to talk about your growing program and your rotation. And I'm like, no, yeah. you do not want me educating anyone because mine is horrible. I'm ashamed of it. It right. is my weak spot. Yeah. I have a lot of work I want to do. I'm dealing with some family issues around it. And I know yeah. I'll talk about marketing. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can talk a lot about marketing. I talk about processing and well, I can talk all, about food it's all part and of it. Yeah. selection and all yeah. that kind of thing. And, um, yeah. It's interesting because many years ago, um, when I was early on in my farming, one of my old landscape comrades came at me with, hey, let's go back into business together. Mm-hmm. And and we started, you know, like ideas. And I was like, I think we should do organic landscaping, like organic lawn maintenance. And we're going to call it Terra Sustaina. Mm-hmm. And all those years ago, I bought the website for Terra Sustaina. Mm-hmm. And I am, I'm like, that's not a bad way to go. Mm-hmm. How about we certify Terra Sustaina or like, let's just anything. I don't care. Let's just get away from this. Mm-hmm. You know, we can still get certified by Moses or Mosa mm-hmm. here in the Midwest. We can still be certified, but we have to like take a stand. That's a noble pursuit, man, because I was bullshit. just, I'm doing <laughs> research on another interview coming up with uh, someone who's researching honeybees. And she has this whole chapter in her book on just lawns, like lawn culture in mm-hmm. the U S I mean, if you just focus your life on uh, the pursuit of getting rid of our total obsession with lawns, Dude, yeah. you would save like not only most of the wa- drinkable water in this I country, know. but like pesticide. There's no regulation that's, about how pesticides can yeah. be used on lawns. Not only that, like the homeowner is not educated at all on it. No, because they they're no all just keeping up with the Joneses. They have no. I know. Yes. They and have no just, idea what they're using. And that's and capitalism run amok, you know? It's like these... Far stronger rates than are necessary. I yeah. mean, that's why when I came out of college, I was like, I'm starting business, and I'm going to plant prairie in everyone's lawn, right. and it's going to be chemical-free, and 
Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I was so idealistic. But you have to educate deep. people, and that's hard, yeah. man. And I couldn't make a living at it. Well, yeah. part of it was because I was young and green, but, you know. But also, how are people, people going to go like, wait, why Why should I tear up my lawn when my neighbor isn't tearing up his lawn and his looks great? And, you know. Well, and not only that, you have, it's all embedded because with the township or right. the town is like, oh, you can't have your grass over six oh, inches. Oh, God, and they'll write you so a you ticket. So you got to mow your oh lawn and you God. get tickets and it costs money and. And that's a it's, policy thing, and it's crazy. It is a policy thing, yeah. It, it just goes on and on yeah. and on and on. <laughs> that's a whole other, a whole other Don't ball of yarn. Don't we have better things to worry about? I mean, yeah. to me, what's going to be interesting is watching the water thing in California yeah. and then the Ogallala Aquifer, mm-hmm. in, in, because that is where a lot of grain production is, and a mm-hmm. lot of the hay ground is irrigated. Yeah. If you've ever driven out there, check it out. Or drive through uh, the Imperial Valley in California or fly like I did. I flew from Baja to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. It's just like hundreds Desert. of miles of irrigated oh, circles yeah. of yeah. crops. And, and you're like, where, where is this water coming? Oh, it's from Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Piped in. And then... Yeah, and then the Sea of Cortez, all that water, all that nutrient used to come down from the mountains, flow through everything, dump into the Sea of Cortez and feed that entire, all that yeah. all that water, that whole sea. There's people dependent on that. It's insane. I on mean, that food, and that whole ecosystem is crashing. Yeah. Cra- like, crashed. It's uh, dead. We're, like, we're, there's not... It's dead. <laughs> we're on the we're on the brink. I mean, we're on the tipping point on all that stuff. I mean, people say the Great yeah. Lakes, you know, Great Lakes yeah. is also in in danger of being kind too of, warm. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> Sucked up and too warm. Oh, oh my goodness! Look at that. <sighs> yeah, it's going to get interesting, and I it I don't know if it's all going to happen in our lives, but if the horse is forced to water, yeah. um. We need to to be there, and we yeah. need to be be ready with some answers. Because well, as far as I can tell, you know, there aren't a lot of people that have them. And that's why there's a lot of great articles that have been written for years saying, really, the only fix for all of this is local, small-scale agriculture, you know, producer yeah. to people, because well, it's the and, only, and bigger, only sustainable model. Yeah, and a and a bigger issue is okay. Seven billion people, eight mm-hmm. billion people, nine billion people. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is yeah, we need to give women mm-hmm. the power to make the choice about how big of a family mm-hmm. that sh- they should have. Absolutely. Period. Yeah, that alone is going to change everything. And women can drive in Saudi Arabia now. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. They just protested, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's good. It's going to be another year. I don't think it goes into effect until 2018, but it's very exciting. There's good moves, man. We just need, you know, we need a woman president in 2018, and we need a woman Congress. I don't even know what's going to happen, but I do know this. If we spend our money, like put our money where our mouths are and do it like, 
from everything that you can. Obviously, cell phones are like complicated and computers mm-hmm. you can't exactly just go buy one that's like sustainably and locally made. Yeah. Um, but we might be able to someday. Yeah. Something There's no reason towards. we we can't. I mean, with 3D printing now. Yeah. Print a print a phone, man. Totally. Totally. Now we're really going off on tangents, but it's cool. I know, but it's it's important. And 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 this food thing Mm -hmm. of like having your food locally grown, it needs to grow out bigger than this. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we can get hemp production is coming back, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, all these little things are going to add up, and when you add into it, fibers, making clothes. Yeah, Yeah, we have to make things. And then being able to, like, have, you know, I was just looking at a a CD in the car. Dan and I were driving somewhere. And I'm reading the people involved in the making of the CD. And it said, you know, like, Jenny Lin, Director of Sustainability. And I thought, hell, yeah. I want a (laughs) Director of Sustainability. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Those are new jobs. Those are good jobs. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Got to do it. Got to do it. Yeah. Got to keep talking about it and spreading the good yeah. news. And that's why I'm yeah. trying to do this. And um, for what it's worth, you know, hopefully my small but growing audience will hear these words and get an idea. Maybe they'll want to become a director of sustainability. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, the sky's the limit. I sure. mean, the thing is just to not limit our thoughts. Right. And then creative when thinking. the negative ones come in that are like oh you'll fail yep. or you can't you can't do that that's never been done exactly that's why we do it you have a choice <laughs> you always have a choice you can yes you can feed the grumpy old bear or you can feed the 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 creative hungry wolf right, right. you know yes yes all right yes. well i'm gonna let you go i'm gonna let you get back to your evening and um I, I so much appreciate this. What a wonderful conversation we it had. It was so fun. It was so fun. And we should talk again. And because um, obviously there's a lot, <laughs> a lot that we didn't yeah. cover. But um, yeah, keep it going, sir. Come out and visit. Okay, we'll you do. Know. We'll do. All right. Talk to you soon. Have a great night. I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. You too. There you have it, folks. Andy Hazard. That's the kind of agri-activist, on-the-ground, get-your-hands-dirty kind of progressive work that we need right now to turn this ship around. So thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please share it with like-minded folks. You can find Farmon on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always contact me, and I welcome you to do that, on Twitter at farm on dharma that's at farm on d-h-a-r-m-a my email is dharma on the farm at gmail.com if you'd like to sponsor farm on the podcast to help us uh, pay for a new microphone and hosting the site please drop me a line otherwise until next time keep on following the sun and farm on